Psalm 19, for the director of music, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people. Uh, may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. So this week, I usually write uh, sermons on Thursday. I study during the week, kind of leading up to that, and then I write my sermons on Thursday. And when I sat down to, to write my sermon, I, lo- I made the mistake of looking out the window. Have you ever like, done that when it's like a nice, beautiful day and you have to get something done in an enclosed space, like an office or a house, and you look outside and you're just like, oh, I just want to go to there. I just want to go outdoors. Beautiful creation. So I was like, well, you know, my sermon, it's on creation, so I guess I have an excuse to, to go outside. And so I did for just a couple of minutes and read through this passage outside to uh, just be encouraged and inspired before I started. But our, our hearts sometimes yearn to go outside, don't they? Now, maybe, maybe some of you are like, no, I prefer the indoors. I, 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 I'm content in that space. But I think all of us, at some time or another, just need to get outdoors. Whether that's you're at the office and you're looking out the window or you're at, you're at school, you're in your studies, and you're just like, I just need to get outside. Well, I think there are a couple different reasons for this, and I am no scientist, but from what I understand, like our bodies, our human bodies, biologically, we need vitamin D, which we get through the sun. It helps us process that, and that, that lifts our spirit, that lifts our moods, and we feel better. This is why like, I get a sun lamp, and in those dark New England months, you're like, I got to sit in front of this little machine that somehow makes me happy when I plug it in, and it's shining on me. So there's a, there's a biological reason that we like to get outside into creation, but I also think there's a spiritual reason. And I think the scriptures tell us that there is something spiritual happening when we get outside. And you've, maybe you've heard that from someone who's not a Christian. Like, I just feel like in tune with kind of the spiritual things when I'm out in creation. 
Well, I, I think there's a, there's a piece of truth to that that comes from our psalm, Psalm 19, because it starts by saying the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In other words, creation is telling us about God. Through creation, we can encounter God, a sense of who God is. And we all have a need to be in relationship with God. And so I think there, that, that when we feel that tug to go outside, we're actually feeling a tug to encounter God. We're feeling a tug to, to encounter something that is beyond our comprehension, that's beyond ourselves, that gives us life. And who does that better than God? And he, and he chooses the masterpiece of nature and creation to, to speak to us. Now in our sermon series, we're talking about praying with God. Now the Psalms are prayers. They're, they're songs, they're poetries, but they're prayers that we can meditate on and focus on as we pray. And I believe that one of the ways that we pray with God is when we go out and we have a, a nature walk <laughs> and we talk to the Lord and we praise him for the trees and the, and the grass and the, the bushes. And this, this really introduces the first way that we're going to talk about uh, receiving God, uh, uh, receiving a, a message from God. And I think there are three ways that, that the psalmist David invites us to, to focus on God in this passage. The first is creation, that God reveals himself through creation. The second is scripture, through the Bible, God reveals himself that way. And the third, the third way that he reveals himself to us is what's going on inside of us, through ourselves. Now, we're going to dive into each of these areas, but I wanted to kind of kick off by looking at creation. So we're going to look at the first six verses, uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. And Sarah did such a great job of reading them, but I'm going to read them Again, and would you, would you read them along in the text as we go through them? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So here, King David, he, he writes about God revealing himself through creation. And he names two areas of creation that he gets a sense of God and his power and his character from. He talks first about the heavens, the skies. So when you look up. And then second, he talks about the sun. Now, through modern technology, we've gotten to really get to know our stars, our skies, and our sun. And so I wanted to stop and focus on those for a moment. I was listening to the radio this week, and I heard a really cool uh, like news clip. And it was about a data release, a data release of the sky. So there's this European Space Agency, 
and they've been studying the Milky Way galaxy for 22 months. They sent a satellite up. It's called like the, the Gaia satellite. They sent it up into space, and it is a million miles from Earth. So just a short distance from Earth. And it's been circling and taking in pictures of the Milky Way galaxy for 22 months. And instead of like hoarding this information, the European Space Agency said, we're going to release all this data because it's going to take a long time to go through to every scientist on planet Earth who wants to focus on it. And so like scientists were like gathering and, and like, like there was like a party before the release of this data. And uh, the, the radio interviewer uh, was release, uh, interviewing the scientists as they were getting this data and they were just amazed. I wanted to show you, just share with you a picture of, uh, that they captured of the, the Milky Way galaxy. And already they were making discoveries. Discoveries that they had never known or, or seen before. Because the satellite, it measures, it measures the distance that the stars are away from us. It measures the, tra- the velocity at which they are traveling. How fast they're going and what direction they're going. It also measures their color. So these amazing aspects that they're seeing about the night sky. And, and one scientist, he was looking at the data, and he found a hypervelocity star. And only 20, 20 of these had been found like up to this point. And he's just like a short while looking at the data, and he finds a hypervelocity star. A hypervelocity star is a star that is traveling several million miles per hour. Just think about that for a moment. Like I, I, can, I can get up to like 60 miles an hour, maybe like 120 if I'm really like thinking fast. A couple million miles an hour is how fast this star is traveling. And he said we expect to find several thousand more. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Something about this speaks to our hearts. God, David, David didn't have like a telescope, but he could still look up at the night sky and marvel at the God who had created it, at the God who, who, who made these celestial lights. And the second image he gets is of the sun. Now, uh, I know that you all spend a lot of time looking into the sun, gazing at the sun. I did look at the sun when there was the eclipse. That was pretty cool. Uh, but I wanted to show you a picture of the size of the sun. Maybe some of you have seen uh, these pictures before. That is not a giant orange. That is, that is a picture of the sun on scale to the size of the earth. So you can see the like the little dot, like the little marble at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, that's the size of the earth in comparison to the size of the sun. The sun is 864,400 miles in diameter. The earth is 7,900 miles in diameter. That's a really big body of just like burning gas that God has placed in close proximity to us to, to keep us warm to give us life, to give us nice sunburns, if you're like me. This speaks to the glory of God. Our God is glorious. He, he, he set this in the sky. He created it. 
He, he pitched a, a tent for it, for the sun. It's like a, a bridegroom coming out. God wanted it to be glorious and big and amazing so that when we think about it, when, when we look up into the sky, we get a sense of who God is and his glory. I think we've all felt this. We've all sensed God's presence and his power this way. But is it enough? Is it enough for us just to encounter God in creation? Well, theologians came up with a term for how we encounter a general sense of God through creation. It's called general revelation. God reveals a general sense of himself through nature. God, God, God reveals something about himself, that he is grand, that he is glorious, that he's big, that he's powerful. But there's still a veil in front of who God is. We don't, we don't know exactly who he is. I mean, we know this to be true because we all, if all we ever see is creation, we, we come up with different terms of, of who God is. And he kind of still fits who we think he should be. Now, if we look at the, the text, we actually see David implying this point in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Now, this is the English. This is the New International Version. This is a, a translation. But what do you notice about God? It's just, it's just God. You sense that there is a, a God, a divine being. This is the, the Hebrew word El. El. It's the, it's the most general term for God in the Old Testament. So the Hebrews, the Israelites, sometimes they refer to God this way, El Elohim. But some of the other cultures, the Canaanites, they could also refer to God as El, Baal, Molech. Maybe you've even seen it in uh, like a humanities class or you've read it in a textbook where they just kind of refer to God as El. So this could be any sort of God. There's a God. We believe someone created all this stuff that didn't just come from nothing. But we don't really know who that God is. Now I want to contrast it. If you, if you let your eyes skip down to verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, what do you notice about Lord? It's different than God. Okay, that's a good observation. It's in all capitals. And that's a signal to us in our modern English Bibles that this is a special name for God. This is what we call his covenant name. This is the name through which God revealed himself to the Israelite people. And what do you do when you learn someone's name? Well, you can suddenly be in relationship with them. Hi, my name is, what is your name? You can interact and have a, a personal conversation. And what if we just continue to interact with, with each other and we're just like, you're a, you're a person. Hey, person. <laughs> you, you wouldn't truly be in relationship with them. See, God reveals himself in the next verses that we're going to get to. But this does not mean, this, this does not mean that general revelation is a waste. <laughs> this does not mean that we should just skip past what we see outside. I want to take a moment and, uh, and apply the first six verses. Well, first, I want to look at Romans 1, verses 20 through 21, because in them, the Apostle Paul, so this is the New Testament, he unpacks a little bit of what creation teaches us 
Okay, so creation tells us something about God. What does it tell us? So Romans 1, verses 20 and 21. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So I want to pause for a moment and explain that. That means you can know that there is a God just by looking at creation. You can know that he's powerful, Well, you created all this. All this must have come from somewhere, whether you think that's a thousand years ago or a billion years ago. It came from somewhere. But what does that teach us? Well, it tells us that God is is big, he's powerful, he has some sort of amazing character, but it also leaves us without excuse. That means if we don't live our lives in obedience to this God who created everything, if we don't live our lives trusting him, we're somehow responsible for that. Now verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. What this means is that if all we ever have is creation, we're going to try to walk down a trail and end up in the wrong place. We're going to try to to walk a path to get to God, and we're going to swerve off and make our own path. We're going to worship our own idols that are more like us and and ourselves than the God who exists. And we can look everywhere and see this. I worship my sense of who I think God is. You worship your sense. I want to take a a moment and, and apply this Before we jump to the next verses, just this encouragement to pray with your eyes open to nature. See, God wants us to see his glory. God wants us to to see his handiwork. I know like the formal posture for prayer is like fold your hands, bow your head, close your eyes. It's kind of hard to do a nature walk at the same time you do that. It's not going to go well. Well, God invites us to open our eyes, to look around at his handiwork and to be like, well, this this tree is amazing. These branches are amazing. Those those branches are not God, but they they speak to God. And I can tell that you're really into this branches theme, so I've actually brought some pictures of branches to show you. See, my heart has been stirred to admire the glory of God just through, like, looking at tree branches. This is a branch outside my house. And I thought it was so beautiful the way the sun was hitting it with the snow. It was just gorgeous. And I've been thinking about tree branches for a while. My heart's been meditating on them. And I wanted to share some of my insights. So there's four seasons, right? So you're going to get, this is a spring shot. This is just taken yesterday. There's little, there's little red buds that are, that are blooming on this tree, and it's a, it's a new way to see the beauty that's different than in the winter. This is the same tree. And then as we get into the summer, that's our house, but you can see the tree on the left there. It's going to be green and, and lush, and it's going to be beautiful, and it's set against the blue sky. And then in the fall, we're going to get to those like New England fall colors, the golds and the oranges. And each one of these seasons is going to say something about our God and how great and beautiful he is. And notice how many branches there are on this tree. There's like thousands of branches. And my eye can't take enough time to like go down and look at every single little 
branch. And this is just one tree. There are an estimated 3.04 trillion trees on planet Earth, each with different seasons, each with different branches that proclaim the beauty of who God is. And you're only going to see like less than 1%, probably even 1% of 1% of those trees in your lifetime. And there are trees out there that are, that are sprouting leaves and, and branches, and they're dying, and no one ever sees them. And they are proclaiming the glory of God just as much as those other trees that we see. And this is just like one aspect of our lives. And then we look up to the sky, and we see the stars, and there's, there's trillions and billions and so many stars, all proclaiming the glory of God. I don't know if tree branches really stirs your heart, but I pray that something in creation moves you so that when you're walking through it or driving through it, you want to sing God's praises. You want to spend a moment praising the God who made all of that. The next way in which God reveals himself is through Scripture. See, creation is beautiful, it's wonderful, and we have the opportunity to praise the one true God because of it. But it's only, the only way to praise the one true God is through knowing who he is. And we come to know who he is through scripture. So I'm going to read the next couple verses, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect. Refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. So what's King David, this psalmist, this poet, what is, he, what is he saying? He's saying we get to know the Lord. We get to know Yahweh. We get to know the real God. The real God. Not the God of my imagination or my preferences. Not, not that weak, unimpressive God. We get to know the God that created the heavens and the sun and the trees and the birds. We get to know him through his word, much more specifically. Notice how many times David connects the Lord with the scriptures. We see the name the Lord used seven times. Seven times. See, it's in, it's in each and every one of these pages of the word of the scriptures that we can encounter God. And notice the, the beautiful parallelisms, the beautiful poetry. Like we actually get a sense of it in our modern English. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. David is talking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. He's, he's using different words, different synonyms to really describe the same thing, different aspects of the same thing. The law, the decrees, the commands, those are the same thing. The testimony, the testimony just means like the whole thing speaks of who God is. It tells us that there is a God and here's God's name and here's how you can be in relationship with this God, the one true God. The, 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 the precepts, the, the instruction, 
It even tells us how we feel as we read and as we get to know who this God is. It says the fear of the Lord is pure. This fear isn't a, like a terrorized fear. It's not a I'm scared out of my mind fear. It's a reverent fear. See, as we come to understand how big and glorious God is through his creation, and then as we read about him in his word, and, and we come to understand just how holy he is and how he demands absolute perfection. A God that big demands absolute perfection from each and every one of us, never sinning, never doing our own thing. Strike some fear in our hearts. See, we're without excuse. We realize that we, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble if we know like his character, that he's holy, that he's powerful, that he has all of this might. We discover that, but then we also discover as we read through the scriptures that there's hope. There's, there's good news. Good news is what we call the gospel. And the whole story of Scripture is, 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 is teaching us the gospel that, that yes, we are broken, <laughs> that, that, that we're born in sin. And actually, we see this in, in this verse. In verse 11, by them, so by the Scriptures, your servant is warned. Well, what do you warn someone about when, when they're, they're in danger? You warn someone like if they're going to walk off a cliff. You say, stop, don't walk off the cliff. And the scriptures warn us that, that if we don't come to know and worship the one true God, we're walking towards a cliff. We're walking towards an abyss. It warns us, but it also gives us hope. It gives us a promise, a promise that, that we can be saved. I don't know if you know the, the story of the Bible. I know many of us do, but kind of the, the, the big story of the Scripture is that uh, God created everything perfect, right? So he made the, the sun, the, the stars. He made this earth absolutely perfect without sin. Then he put two people in it. The, these were the very best people, Adam and Eve. They were... Like if, if they were going to be perfect, if they were going to obey God because they were perfect, it just it made sense. They were, they were absolutely without sin when they were made. But somehow, even though they were perfect, they, they decided to, to rebel against God. Maybe you've heard of the story of like eating the apple. We don't actually know what fruit it was. <laughs> but, but as Adam and Eve took a bite of that fruit, God had said, don't do that. And so they were just saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do life my way. I'm going to choose to be the king of this universe, God. I know what's best in this creation, not you. Because of that, everything fell into sin. Like, like somehow the sun and the stars and the tree branches are not as they should be. And anyone who has allergies knows this is true. <laughs> They're not as they should be. And we can see this really clearly as we look around at our fellow human beings. And we can see all the brokenness in this world. See, everything has been broken and marred by sin. 
But there is good news. There's hope. And I'm going to get to that. It's coming. It's coming at the end of this psalm. You have to stay tuned for the end of this psalm because it's going to be amazing. But first, we're going to take an intermission. We're going to talk about special revelation. The Lord reveals a saving relationship with himself through the Bible. See, we need to be saved. We've been broken. We broke ourselves through Adam and Eve, and we're still breaking ourselves every day. We're choosing to rebel against God. But God, through Scripture, reveals a special revelation. In other words, a special word, a special message of who he is. And this message, it can save you. And not just you, it can save us. It can save all of creation. It can save the nature. It can save the sky, the sun. It can save everything. The Lord reveals a saving relationship with himself through the Bible. And so let's focus on the Lord Let's pray with our eyes opened to God's word. That's really kind of the heart of this sermon series on the Psalms. Instead of just launching into your prayers, take a moment, maybe read a couple verses in the Psalm, maybe read a whole Psalm, see who God is, and then let that begin to direct your prayer. The God who reveals himself in the scripture, let's make sure that we're praying to him because he's the one who can save us. He's the one who can come and set everything right Because as we look out into creation, we see it's broken. But as we look into our hearts, we see it's really broken. See, God reveals himself through creation. He reveals himself specifically or especially through the scriptures. But then we look at ourselves and we see, wow, I really need God. (laughs) I'm, I'm broken. Verses 12 through 14 say this. But who can discern their own errors Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful lusts, willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. See, we talked about general revelation, nature, creation. We talked about special revelation, God's word. But there's also self-revelation. See, when I look into my own heart, I see that I'm broken. I need a savior. I choose, I choose every day to sin against God. And sometimes I don't even realize when I'm sinning against God. That's what verse 12 is saying. I I can't discern my own errors because my heart deceives me. I think I'm doing right, but I'm actually doing wrong. Because sin has broken everything, including me. And that's like unintentional sin, and sometimes we actually do intentional sin. Right? And we you can probably think of some times. Some bad times when you, when you were like, God, I, just, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it my way. I know that, that you say to do it differently, but I'm going to do it my way. That's what sin is. That's what rebellion is. That's the same mistake that we've been making for thousands of years. And so we need a Savior. We need someone to come and rescue us. And so we need to pray with our eyes open to Jesus. I want to read the last verse, because this last verse points us to Christ. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, a redeemer in ancient Israel was a family member who was responsible for the other members of the family. 
And if you were sold into slavery or were in a really bad position, it was the Redeemer's job to come and bail you out, to come and purchase you from slavery. And see, we've all learned that we're enslaved to sin. We're broken to sin in this world. And so God, he sent us a Redeemer, and it was actually his Son, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He's the Redeemer who has come He's come into this world, this fallen, broken world, and he was perfect. Like He never sinned once. He, he never broke God's commands. He never broke God's laws. He always honored his father. And he paid the penalty for our sins. He became, he became the payment. See, the only way that we can be redeemed is a life for a life. Jesus had to sacrifice his perfect life for our broken and sinful lives. So that we can be set free from sin, from death. See, we need, we need a creator. <laughs> we need a savior. We need a redeemer. And Jesus is that redeemer. Jesus came to, to rescue us. Do you need to be rescued? Like, do you recognize in your heart that you're sinful and you're broken? God tells us this, I know I'm jumping to the New Testament, but he tells us this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, Jesus came to, to become our Redeemer and he sacrificed his life for us so that we can live, so we can, so we can receive eternal life. Eternal life is being in relationship with Jesus. You know what eternal life is going to be like? It's going to be like being able to explore the, the Milky Way and each one of those stars forever with Jesus. It's going to be able to, it's going to be like going around and trying to see all the tree branches and how beautiful and unstained they are by sin with Jesus and, and other brothers and sisters who know Christ. Eternity is going to be like studying God's word and getting to know God truly forever and ever and being in real relationship with a God who created everything and who created you without sin. Do you want that? Do you want to like deal with the sin problem in your heart? I know I do. The Bible just invites us to confess our sins. Say, Jesus, I have a heart problem. <laughs> it's full of sin. But Jesus, I know that you are a savior. That you're a redeemer. That you can come and purchase me. You've already done that on the cross. Now I just need to believe and, and repent. If you'd like to do that tonight, Please come talk to me even during the closing worship song or after the service. Like we can, we can make sure that you know the Redeemer. I want you to know him. Pray with your eyes open to Jesus. We pray with it open to creation, with the scriptures. But most importantly, all of that points us to Jesus. I'm going to invite Mark to come up. And he's actually going to say our closing prayer in response. So Mark, would you come on up? And as he's coming, if you don't know Christ, like you can, for the first time, pray this prayer with, with Mark, silently echoing his words. Father God, we, we thank you for 
your revelation, Lord. We thank you that we can look outside and, and see your handiwork, Lord. We see the detail in creation around us. We see the beauty, and we know that there's an author. We know that there's a creator, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for your revelation in Scripture, Lord, as we, as we seek to know better the, the creator that we see in nature through your word, Lord, we learn more and more about who you are. We get a better sense of, of where we are, Lord, in relation to you. Lord, we, we all struggle, Lord, because we, we carry the burden of sin in our hearts, Lord. But we thank you that, you, uh, that, this, that the story doesn't end there, that there is a Redeemer. Lord God, and so we, we come to you, Lord, and we, we ask that um, you would be merciful and gracious, Lord. That our sins would, uh, that you would forgive our sins, Lord. That we would, we would have hearts uh, that seek to be clean and pure before you. That you would fill us with your spirit. In the same way that when people look at creation, they see you. That when they look at us, they can see you living inside of us. Lord, we, we thank you for your willingness to draw close to us when in our rebellion we seek to do our own thing, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, that, uh, that your love covers a multitude of our sin. And we look forward to, to that eternity with you, Lord. Where the veil is, is removed. And we see you clearly, Lord. And know you better and deeper. And get to experience that for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.